everybody. Hi, Jess. Hey, Bill. All right, so we're going to jump in with the news. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to warn you now. We're going to start on a relatively high note. High note. And we're going to start on a very high positive note, and then we're okay. going to drastically dip down. Are you okay, ready? Okay, so we're going to we're going to go from peaks to pits. Okay. Yes. I want we're going to start on the mountaintop and we're going to end up under the valley. <laughs> Not under the valley. <laughs> yes. So, the first thing we can talk about today is um Reverend William Barber um has decided to revive Martin Luther King's Poor People's Campaign. Have you heard about that? No, he's resigning. Well, no, no, no. He's resigning from the NAACP oh. post, I believe. But they, but he's resigning to to work on the Poor People's Campaign. Okay. Ooh, okay. Ooh, okay. And so, um, basically, I mean, for folks who don't know, um, Reverend Barber has done a lot with um, Moral Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in North Carolina, a lot of the teachings and the, and the um, organizing and the protesting, um, it's a very robust um, faith movement that's advocating for, you know, economic rights, racial justice, all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it definitely flies in the face of the stereotype of, you know, um, Christians down south, particularly, you know, in North Carolina, not really, you know, being progressive or anything like that. It's just totally goes against those stereotypes. So, so that's good. Um, but he's basically for also for those who don't know, um, the poor people's campaign was a, um, a, a campaign that was dreamed up by uh, Martin Luther King. Um, but I believe he was killed before he could launch it. So I believe it was Ralph Abernathy. I could be wrong about that, but I believe he's the one that actually ended up carrying it forward and what the Poor People's Campaign was ultimately was um, the efforts to really work through economic justice. Um, because Martin Luther King, I'm, now I'm paraphrasing him, but at some point he said, you know, basically, you know, all the rights with, you know, the sit-ins and being able to integrate and things like that. And he realized ultimately um, that being able to integrate really doesn't mean anything if you don't have any money. I think he talked about like the sit-ins at Woolworth. It was like, you know, it doesn't really matter if you can sit at Woolworth if you can't right. afford the burger. I mean, you know, you can't do that. And so that's what Martin Luther King began to realize and begin to at, and organize toward um, in the, the, the ending um, months and weeks of his life, um, a, a, a movement that would work toward economic justice for right. all people. Um, and so that's, and, and, and particularly um, fighting against militarism in the United States and empire. And so that's, you know, that's really what made people say, okay, no, he's, he's got yep. to go. We got to kill him. Um, the right, ra- all the racial stuff is good, but now you're trying to pull apart all these threads. Oh no. We can't, we um, like our stuff. So, we want to yeah. keep them. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I'm happy about it. Um, I myself, um, I'm really, really thinking more and more about how, we have to build mm-hmm. coalitions to right. get things done um, because, and, and it's not, it's not that, how do I want to say this? You know, I think I'm kind of known for not suffering people who get on my nerves very much and I'm still going to be that way. <laughs> um, 
and on an individual level, like I am, like I'm still going to be like that. But for me, um, I don't like hate white people. And I recognize that one, most of, well, no, actually, no, that might be a fair statement. One, I think it's important to realize that many of the movements that honestly deeply put some of the fear of God into the powers that be was when people started right. to build coalitions. Um, and it's not saying that Black people can't and don't do stuff on, I mean, clearly Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Like, clearly, Black people don't necessarily, we don't need other people to make us successful and to make what we're doing successful. At the same time, there are ways that these issues intersect um, that with a coalition, could we could do a whole lot more. And so, like, growing up, you know, I lived in a mostly African-American town, but there were a decent amount of white folks, right. and they were poor, too. And so it doesn't mean that they didn't have their issues with racism, right. I'm assuming, and things like that, right? Uh, but if we were to somehow unite together, like, we both went right. to the same raggedy schools. We both had the terrible, like, we had all the same issues, um, many of the same issues. And there might have been a couple of boxes unchecked, but but most of the boxes we all checked, mm-hmm. even though we were both black and white. Um you know, a lot of the boxes of our issues we checked were all the same. And so, you know, a, a clearly, you know, racism is still something that needs to be taken care of and worked through. So I'm not saying that at all, but for me, I, I appreciate the effort to say, hey, listen, we got to really, like, it doesn't matter if we can all go to college or nobody can pay for it. It doesn't matter if I can go to work it, it doesn't matter, like, if I have the freedom to do things. I think right. access in and of itself is not enough. And I think that's the thing that um, the Poor People Campaign and things like that, I, I really am for things like that. And so I'm excited. Right. I'm happy for that. I think we just have to, like, I think another thing, too, that people have to grasp is that I don't think that we're literally saying that, like, being wealthy is horrible. It's the fact that your wealth is so predicated and dependent on the suffering and the marginalization of others. You know what I mean? Like the idea that, well, in order for me to be wealthy, you have to be beneath me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) in order for me to, to, to be comfortable, you have to be, you know, you have to be under my heel. Like, that's that's pretty twisted. Yeah, I think that's the thing that people don't really quite get, though. I mean, I know people like to fight over and stuff about the capitalism thing and stuff like that. I don't think people quite realize, though, is that when you really look mm-hmm. at the reality mm-hmm. about people mm-hmm. and their access and the money that they have, right. nobody really has any money. And it's really, the, it's, it's not, it's because people right. just don't, aren't paid. And you don't have right. access to stuff. Like, it's really what it comes down to. And the reality is just true. It's like, think about it. What does one person need $82 billion for? That is that is more money than numerous countries mm-hmm. in the world even have, you know? And so it's not so much that you hate those people. But also the truth is, like, I mean, if you write me a check for a million dollars today, I'm going to take it, right? And so these little millionaires here and there, that's one thing. But we're talking about people who have so much wealth that they literally control right. the course of human history. It's just not fair. Like it's it's the fact that a handful of people are 
you know, overall can dictate much of what right. happens. Or your malfeasance can cause world. an epidemic. Uh, you know. Right. And I don't think people realize how much these things, like, we think of things like climate change and presidential elections and all types of things like that. It's just, it gets to a point when it's like, look, I'm not mad at rich people per se. And then rich, even how we think about rich and wealth is not, I'm not talking about somebody who has a lot of zeros in their bank account. Like, you know, um, rich, who I'd like to be rich one day, but we're talking about a level of wealth that requires you to exploit people to get um, and when you're getting into that type of territory, it's like, you gotta, you, you kind of like, there, there's a reason why you have that much money. It's coming from somewhere. It's because it's because somebody else isn't getting it. And when you realize like you have so much and everybody else has so little, it becomes to the point when it's like, okay, we got to do something like this isn't going to work. Like the average, there was a study that was done and the average person cannot afford an extra expense of $400 without having to use a line of credit and that the average American doesn't have more the average American mm. has less than $1,000 in savings so those two things together um, and so when you when you take that and put that mm-hmm. into account with people in medical bankruptcies and foreclosure and student loan debt and, and, and um, default like people out here are really struggling and so right. we gotta do something different than this um, in order to really help people be able to do what they need to do. I don't think most people don't really want to be rich. They just want to be able to do what they like. They just want to be able to be comfortable and do what they need to do. And people really can't do what they need to do. I think that that's the thing. It's like nobody's really saying, um, even when people want to advocate for like, you know, $15, $15 per hour at McDonald's, when people say, oh, that's too much. But when you think about it, it's like, well, one, Fifty thousand an hour will probably barely get you like what thirty thousand a right. year, which is still laughable. Right, <laughs> that's still quite hilarious because you can't do nothing with that. But the idea that you don't deserve, like, it's not so much about oh right. no, I don't think anyone is saying that McDonald's is a glamorous job per se. But the idea that one that they don't work is really untrue. And two, like, what's the point of working? If you, right. if your job doesn't help you meet your basic needs, so, but I'm here for it. Thank you, Reverend Barber. I'm here. So we can, I think we can move on. I think you, I think you've covered a lot of uh, many of the main points because I think that elitism is something that people don't even realize that they're operating in, but are. Um, especially in regards to poverty and how that relates to vulnerability. So, you know, I think that that's, that's a whole other, whole other podcast in of itself. So I, I just think that, you know, I think it's a good thing because then maybe it'll be another Bacon's Rebellion 2.0 on the other hand, (laughs) you know, where people of color and poor whites are like, oh, crap, we're in the same boat. <laughs> so, hope. Viva la revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So, all right, next. So, kind of on this same theme, this might surprise you a bit. 
There was a I did clip see from that T.D. Clip. Jakes um, a few days ago. That, yeah, so it was quite interesting. I will play it, um, you know, uh, and we'll go from there. We can talk about his words and what we think, okay? So let's hear what Bishop Jakes has to say. Um, and just for some context, see, this is at um, some conference. I forgot the name of the conference. It's long. But um, basically, the, the topic of the panel was the polemics um, of politics in the pulpit. And so he had a bunch of people up there, a lot of which I don't know names, but I do know that Paula White, um, the, 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 the grand priestess of Donald no. Trump, um, she was on there. Yes, 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 Paula White. Here's some, some random trivia. I never told you this. So Paula White, does she still pastor that church in Florida? I believe so. So the church that she pastors either now or used to. I know about that whole. Um, used to be Zachary Tim's Situation, church. yes. Involving. Mm-hmm. His, his yes. wife, um, his wife, Reva Timms, was, um, she was one of my uh, Dove sisters from my Christian um, frat and sorority. She, she oh, so, wow. Okay. I never met her, but that's just the random connection. Um, yeah. Old history. But it is what it is. So, all right, let's listen to hear what. Um, and I guess for some context, they're at this this panel, and they're talking about politics in the pulpit and the issues. And I guess from what I've, I didn't see the what happened right before, but apparently Paula White said something or did something, which of <laughs> course, knowing her, is was probably off the wall. But apparently, T.D. Jakes is responding to what Paula White is saying okay. for what. I'm the, what I was told about the clip, okay? So. National income of all the churches in America, if we didn't pay the mortgage, if we didn't pay the staff, if we didn't pay the light bill, and took all of our money and gave it all away to the poor and, and became homeless to feed them, we still don't have the money. When we are taking 10% of a few people's income and they're taking 35% of everybody's income, I'd be that gone if I should have to feed everybody by myself. Now, when I did the math on it, I realized that what I am asking the people to do doesn't work. I can help. I can help. I can do my part. I can participate. I can join in. But why did you take 40% of my check and then tell me that I got to turn around and take another 10% to do what you're not doing? When I gave the 40, I thought you were going to feed somebody. And I think we need to rise up and challenge people because I switched on that. I used to say that too until I got a calculator and I added it all up and I started feeding 100 people myself. And if I fed all the hungry people in my zip code, I would have to not pay my staff and they would be hungry too. So at what point, if you're going to take my money, right. you, I don't get to give it you, I, before, I, before I ever get to see it. I think you can't have 40% of my check and absorb yourself of the responsibility to help feed my community. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I used to buy it. I used to buy it, I used to say it, but when I added it up, it's easy to say that when you live in neighborhoods like we do, but when you actually start feeding them and, you, and, and don't touch health care, 
Right. When you start talking about a, a prescription for blood pressure being $400, $600 for one grandmama who's got five different right. conditions in her body, I don't think the church could do it if we all went bankrupt trying. So, well, what do you think? Um, seeing as I've seen that clip around the world, um, and it was actually shared in one of the Facebook groups I'm a part of. I understood what he was trying to say, but I still felt in some ways he was still dancing around the issue because to me, there's always been this back and forth between the state and the church in regards to dealing with poverty. And it seems like there is a real like avoidance of the reasons for the ways in which one alleviates and addresses poverty in society. And obviously the church is going to attack it from one particular venue, you know, way. And depending on who's in power in politics, they're going to address it from, from a particular way, or they're not going to address it. Um, I just thought it was ironic that the one of the people on the panel was one of the African-American reporters that Donald Trump just assumed could set up a meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus. Right. So to me, I understood what he was saying about how the church has been extending itself and over and extending itself repeatedly. Um, to address, you know, the poor and the needy. Um, But it still doesn't change the fact that the state has, like, in essence, depending on who's in power, the state wants to maintain its, a certain level of control so they don't, you know, depending on who's in power, you know, there's, they don't really care as much. And the way in which they address it and talk about it is going to be different. And it's just, to me, it's a lot of the passing the buck. True. Um, for me, okay, so here's how I feel. Um, on the one hand, this is a right. great step forward. Like to hear TD Jake say right, this. Could right. you imagine hearing him saying that even two years ago? You know? And and I think it took a lot for him to say, hey, I used to think this way, but I changed my mind. I did the math and I realized that I, I need to think something different. Right. That's something. I think that's really, really something. And I think that's something to be commended. And he's right. <laughs> like, um Right. He like the way he broke that down is like, yo, before I even like right. you take sixty percent of you take forty percent of my money. Right. Almost half of my money. And then when I but you right. don't help me right. with the things that I need to live at all. Like like I'm not even talking about you giving to me. It's like it's it's you take most you take right. almost a majority of my money. Well you take you take a significant portion of my money. 
and then you kind of leave me out to dry when it comes right. to being able to access certain things. Like, what am I? What are you taking it for? If, right. If this, which if is you taking right. it makes my life. Work. I agree. I, I I definitely get you that. Know? Which goes back to the whole thing about actual real accountability because it's like if you actually say, guess what? You know, every 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 red cent of what like. I spend is accounted for. You can see it. Here's the report. Here's the receipts for everything. And, you know, in some churches, it's very much like that. Every red cent is accounted for because in some instances, the church is operating off of other people's money. Well, not some, but in several instances. And so there has to be a thorough accounting. And yet when it comes to the government and the contracts that are given in government, there's no certain departments. You, you, you would be lucky to see a report. <laughs> and so. See, I think, yeah, uh, you know, I, here's the part where our, Right. Here's the part. Here's the part right. where I feel kind of a way about what he's saying. Um, this is great. This is a great, as a, as one of my friends put it on Twitter, say this is a good crack. Right. Let's see how far this crack and how deep this crack is willing to go. Um, has his idea around mm. theology, his, like his theology around tithing and giving, has that changed? Um, because my, my thing about it is this. I hear him and I'm very glad that he said that. I think that's very true. I think that it's something that needs to be said. Um, and by hearing the people who were cheering him on and the way he was willing to implicate himself, I think there's really something to be said about that. He said, not only I used to think that, but I did the math and I realized I was wrong. I think differently. And then he also said, but we can say it's basically say we there's so, we can say a whole lot based on neighborhoods that we yeah. live in. Like he was willing to say like that yeah. is something. Woo, that that's a lot right there. What I will say though is that if we still take that sixty percent, are you still asking people to give mm. a, from their sixty when you know how deep their problems go? Like I'm not, and I'm not saying that he is. I because it's just that one clip. Maybe there's some more thinking and processing going on. Maybe I mean I don't watch T D Jakes like that, like anywhere. Right. So so maybe maybe there's some other things that I don't know, right? And so I don't want I just I don't want to implicate him. Maybe it's something happening. Maybe there's more churning. Maybe he maybe there there have been some turns in how he does things and how he says things. Maybe there has been, and and if so that's great. But that's the question that I have: is that okay? So you're aware that people are getting their they're getting 40% taken from them. Are you still saying that they should give from that 60 that they have left that barely, that's barely working? Are you still saying that God gives to you, mm-hmm. you know, when you, if you give, God will give back to you, press down, shaking together, whatever. Like, are you still saying that? Because right. if you are, that means that needs to be checked out too. Because it's like, if you recognize how bad it is for mm. people and, and you've been in ministry for decades and you see how that that's not the case. Like, you know, like, I just wonder if that's, if that is a part of his thought process about all of this. That's my concern because it's like, you know, 
And and people don't mean because I mean I've been hurt. I know friends who have said time and time again, "Oh, I don't really believe in what the Bible." You know, I don't really believe the standard idea around tithing. But I say it and I preach it because it gets people to give. And what I always say is that, okay, so you're basically saying that God's going to give people something if they give from what they barely have in the first place. You know what I mean? To get them to give. Right. Well, the lights, they say like, well, that's got to be kept on. I was like, but that's dishonest though. Like, can't you just say you need, can't you just tell them that the lights need to be turned on, that we need you to give, like, please give. Can't you just ask instead of telling them a theological, like, you don't even believe this. You just know that talking about tithing, and giving God 10% and don't rob God. And if you rob God, then devourer will come. The devourer has already come. That's the problem. Without anybody doing anything, the devourer is already here. And so you're asking them to give from what Sir, meager I thought we were gonna get to that discussion later. after the devourer has already come. <laughs> and that's my problem. <laughs> oh, well, 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 that's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not the same thing as, what, as the Sunday school topic. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but th- that that's my issue. It's like right. th- that's all. Like I want to know what what comes next after you recognize that. And and here's the other thing too. We have to be well. Mm, th- this could be some level, whatever. But TJ um, I, I need some sunglasses. This shade that. you sit up here throwing. Golly. I know. I, I, I know the connection between Jake's and Paula White. I, I'm not. Uh, you know. I'm not mm-hmm. Huh? And want you to buy them? Yep. And want you to buy them? All of that together? Oh, uh, listen. It, it, it's it's a it, well. You know, back in the day, I was so saved. I would watch all of those shows, and I would literally look at the calendar the TV guy to see when Juanita Bynum was going to be on TV and when Paula White TJ was going to be on TV. So I followed them heavy. And so I didn't know a lot of stuff then, but I saw it. And so then at years went on, I would read and research and look into other things, how, why things happened the way they didn't make sense. But if you ever get a chance to read, um, watch this by um, Jonathan Walton, I believe is the, the author's name, but the title is watch this. So definitely, because yeah, um, now every that time out. that I see, yeah, now yeah, every time that, that I hear Juanita Bynum, I'm thinking one? about her rant involving about praise and worship leaders, and they're wearing sandals and um, being lotioned up, and just <laughs> so Juanita Bynum, she went on this rant, and some of these Christian comedians, of course, yeah. have gone. Um. Kevin on stage particularly was ranting up like cracking jokes about it because she apparently was so fixated on how women of God are not, you know, being, you know, that they're not dressing appropriately for church, you know, wearing body conscious dresses and not wearing pantyhose and wearing sandals. And um, when they, when they're not wearing pantyhose, their legs are all greased up and, and just, and I'm just like, how? Why are you paying that much attention to what other women are wearing? I I understand that, mm, but I mean, that screams. That's, that well, screams. You know how the church works. Are, I mean, that, maybe it's just me, but that screams <laughs> that you are fixated on that because I don't know what your preference is. 
And it's not necessarily a bad thing in regards to what your preference is, but it just seems like she's overly projecting. Like, oh, I would... I'm just saying. Well, on that... I mean... <laughs> I mean well, on that note, um, in Relevant Magazine, which is an ironic title because I had no idea that Relevant was still relevant, um, there was an article written called that, um, entitled Christians are not called to have amazing sex, um, caused a little bit of a hubbub on the interwebs. Um, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh boy, another one. But when I actually read it, my thoughts on it were varied. So basically what she's like, the way the author starts it yeah, she talks she yeah, starts I by do. talking about mm-hmm. the elizabeth smart story you remember who that is elizabeth smart mm-hmm. and talked about how mm-hmm. all of that kind of mm-hmm. spiked um a conversation about abstinence education and all of that and um she talks about how there's a decent amount of people um in recent times who have talked about like you know the whole christian thing where you know, if you, you know, uh, it's listen, worth the wait. I mean, we, I, and that's literally a thing. Like, remember, I'm sure you remember the worth the wait t-shirts I, that people used to wear. And the, and the purity, um, the purity ring thing and events you used to have and, and all of that. And we know plenty of people who've been involved in that. And so, well, you have people from that generation now who and they're are divorced, typically. Uh, writing about how that stuff really jacked them up in their relationships going forward. Yeah. Um, and so the whole idea that basically it's selling you a lie is like saying, you know, if you wait, if you keep your legs together, well, we'll see. It's always keep your legs together. It's really never. I mean, men are sprinkled roundabout, but the focus is always on the women not giving up their, you know, not not giving their virginity away as if it's something you can literally hand someone. Um, you know, virginity isn't even a thing, but that that's we'll get to that another point. But <laughs> it's. You know, but then people saying that, you know, the idea is that if you wait and honor God, when you do have sex, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. And sex will be good all the time. And it'll be so worth it. It'll be so hot and steamy and great. And so just wait. And at j- just wait. And when you actually do it God's way, big scare quotes around God's way, um, then it'll work and it'll be awesome. But she's saying that, that basically isn't the case. So the the core of what her argument is is that she's saying that God did not necessarily call us to have good sex. Um, and she writes in her article, um, you know, right. I'm going to read some of, I'm going to read a paragraph from it so you can get a gist of it. Okay. Um, and, and she writes, in addition to misrepresenting the role of sex in a Christian's life, this discourse also smacks of an inferiority complex that wants to compete with mainstream culture's view of sex, rather than modeling a rightly ordered sexual ethic to the world. For example, the teachings on the Song of Solomon can range from using the book as a modern-day sex manual to a tool of manipulation to get women to acquiesce to inflated views of sex, such as well-known pastor controversially enjoining women to perform oral sex because Jesus Christ commands you to do so. These sorts of teachings on sex indicate the spurious claim many Christians accept that the call to be a married Christian includes within it an obligation to become a sex god or goddess. There. So, I mean, I, what are I, your, you some of your what? thoughts? I didn't even, I saw it, I, mean, you, I, I don't scrolled know if you read by, because I was like, you know what? Um, 
I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole and read because it just it I understand what she's saying about how you know basically you have a lot of young adult Christians and because of the period of culture and the true love waste movement they were really sold at bill of goods about um sex and sex and marriage and sexuality and a sexual ethic however on the flip side of that it also turns something that should not this should be a be an act of mutuality and respect and pleasure like it turns it into a task it turns it into something that's and you know a, 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 a right of like a difficult rite of passage like i mean it's almost like yeah this is just like part of the part of the drawbacks yeah you got to give it to him when he wants it like it is just, it's really disgusting because it also, in, in, in some instances, it also infantizes men. Because it's like, wait a minute, like you're just assuming that it's the, that it's the men that, yeah, that have does. these like raging sex drives. Like nowhere is there any discussion about female sexuality or female pleasure. So, I mean, it's probably, it's so, I mean... I get what she's saying, but on the flip side of that, it's just like, I like I really want to be like, I'm really sorry that you have a miserable marriage, but don't put that on me. <laughs> like I get, I understand that people like I think sometimes so, you have you know, people that in their attempt to try to give people a reality check and trying to make sure that people don't have unrealistic expectations, they overshoot it, and then they're like they're not really clear about the importance of saying, guess what? It's okay to know what you like. <laughs> it's okay to, you know, realize that, you know, you don't just instantly get good at something like that. Or that when you're with someone that it's just, it's automatically like fantastic and, and beautiful. And th- like, that's not <laughs> like, it's just, to me, it's just, there's so many, there's too many quite there's too many questions for me. Like, I feel like it's a good start, but I don't think it goes far enough. Yeah. I mean, my my thoughts are this. I mean, of course, everybody saw that. I think a lot of people saw the title and were like, oh, girl, whatever. And so I get that. And there's still a very conservative tone in here about, you know, God's modeling God's way of sexuality for the world or whatever. And so those are usually tells about a certain viewpoint of, of of sex and sexuality whatever and so for that no thanks no ma'am however what i will say though and i think it's something yes. that people did, and i've said this before when we had when um lola and um was on the show and we were talking about that is that there is a thing when we when mm-hmm. particularly when, when people want to be sex positive we kind of go from one extreme to the other and so you feel like in or if you're either going to be this church mouse with locked in a chastity belt Right. Or you need to somehow become right. this masterful performer at sex all of a sudden. And that I think like, and she says even elsewhere in her article is like, you know, there are other things about right. relationship that should be, that should matter to you. And now it doesn't mean that sex can't be important. Um, and that, but, and so I think she kind of makes seem say, oh, there's other things that matter. And, and, you know, okay, it, uh, yes, but sex can still be something that's really important. 
I think what I'm taking away um, and, and what I take away and what I would kind of lift from there to, to, to do something with is the idea, though, that we kind of we don't nope. really give people the space to work through sex and sexuality in a way that's healthy. Yep. We we kind of go from it's, it's one or two extremes. Either it's you need to don't have sex, be holy, whatever. And then the other one is that, well, go ahead and have sex with everybody now. Do everything. Go ahead. Do it. It's not, and that's, it doesn't work that way. Like sex is not, you know, I think a lot of people, and I, I don't know the name of the study, so I might be messing it up, but a lot of people, like particularly, right. like there, if, if your idea is about sex, if, you know, if no one ever tells you what sex is, you have no experience with sex, right. or if your right. only understanding of sex is like pornography right. or something like that, you're going to be in trouble. Like you're going to have a lot of stuff that you're going to have to work through. Um, and you can't just work through that because all of a sudden you got the right idea about sex. Like, Oh, well God said that I can have sex and God won't hate me. Boom. Now I can do it all the time. And it's great. No. Um, and I do think that sometimes we elevate sex to the point where we ignore all the other things that do matter. Again, it doesn't mean that sex isn't important. Um, but it can be to the detriment of other things. It's like, okay, well, right. when you are 50, maybe right. you're not going to have the same sex drive as you do when you are 20 or 30. What do you do then? You know what I mean? Like, it's, just, it, it's a very discussion. I think it's difficult because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't... Right. I think the nuance of that reality right. gets obscured because folks are afraid. They don't want to shame people. And I think that's a conversation you can shame that you can have without shaming people and saying, listen, right. like for me, the whole big thing is choice is that right. the opposite of what the conservatives offer is choice and control right. of your own body. And that control could mean that, oh, you say, listen, I don't want to have sex. Right. But you're not doing it so that way God will like you. You're doing it because it's what you decide is best for you. Right. Um, and so that, that's how I look at it. It's like the opposite of all the purity stuff is choice. And education, and you know, of, of your own body, and not like your body belongs to you. It does not belong to all these other people. Like God, you can say, well, your body belongs to God. Well, God gave you your body. Like if you're going to go that thing, it's like God gave you your body to use it to steward it, and God <laughs> gave that to you. And I think even using the garden, as everyone loves to do. Right. The, the garden narrative has precious little details. It's plenty of things that really aren't said. But one thing, one thing that is noted though, is that God just says, "Okay, here's a garden. Steward it." He doesn't even say how to steward. He just says, "Do it. <laughs> you figure it out. It's yours. Don't touch this." Which clearly they didn't do well. But whatever else, just do it. Here are the animals. What do you want to call them? Here's the, the like, just here, do it, figure it out. And so God didn't say, I'm here, steward this. Here's right. 50 billion directions on how you want to steward it, but enjoy free will though. You know, like, God didn't do that. Like God told, God said, okay, I made you and you are kind of like me. And so because you're kind of like me, I want you to kind of figure this out and you, this is your little spot. Do what you will. I'm not going to give you too much because I want you to figure it out for yourself. Mm. So you could, because you're like me. And if I give you everything and tell you everything, you mean you really can't be like me. 
um and so oh wow i was thinking i really was thinking about the matrix where you were just like it's not like a situation where it's like oh here's this garden here's 50 billion different realities of what you could have (laughs) you know like um so i get what you're saying i understand that and i do think i do think in some way you can definitely do that without shaming people I think what a good component of it is having a level of compassion for yourself and having compassion for others in terms of your body and in terms of your choices. So, you know, you can say, this is what I want to do. And that choice can can be to not have sex. The choice can be to have sex, but in either scenario, you're not judging or dismissing other people because their choices are different than yours. And you're not making your choices a mandate for everybody else to follow. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's what it boils down to for me. I should write that down and preach that one day. (laughs) But that is true, though. I really be- deeply believe that. Like, if if we're supposed to be like God, God has a limited, like, God has freedom. Mm-hmm. And of course, we don't have total freedom. But if we're like Ooh. God, then we have to have the ability to create and fashion our own way of doing things just like God did. Like, we have to. And if we don't, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense if everything that we're supposed to do is literally written from beginning to end and that we have all, like, we're not microwaves or refrigerators or washing machines where you, you get it in it. Yeah, like, where you get it and you have this real big old book of directions um, that you're supposed to follow. No, it's just not like that. Um, and I think the the that's what the point of it is, is, like, that that's reflected in that story. That it's just, like, you know, like, we're supposed to be able to decide. God gave us our bodies. So we get to decide how we'll use them. Um, as long as we're keeping the principles of loving our, of we're, you love God by loving yourself and loving right. other people and treating them in ethical ways and the ways that are, are filled with justice and compassion and, and caring, that there's a number of ways that can work out. Um, you, can, you can live that out by having sex with a bunch of people. You can live that out yep. by having sex with one. You can live it out by having sex with none. You know what I mean? And I think the funny thing to me, though, is that every time that's, that's used to talk about sex, they neglect the fact that the only way this would work is that, okay, well, you know, God made Eve for Adam and all of that. At Where do you think all of these children came from? They had to have sex with, with their own yeah. relatives if at some point, if this were to work out. And so are you saying you're okay with, with incest? Or something, but like, like what, like what do you mean? Like you know, it just. But again, I think that's because the story we use that story for a bunch of things. But th- that could be a Sunday schools topic one day. Uh, we could talk about what's yeah, in Genesis and what's really not in that first one. those first three chapters. But um, are we done with this story? Can we move on to our last one? Yep. Okay, here's the last one. This is a lot. Are you ready? All right. So yes. this one is about. Um, well, you know Jan Crouch yes, and Paul I Crouch, know. right? You know who they are, I'm assuming. The uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. <laughs> if you you weren't, yeah, you weren't really Christian if you didn't watch Praise the Lord when that came on <laughs> that two and a half hour show with that 
that soundstage and all that damn gaudy furniture everywhere. And they would have, like, you know, you were, that was like being crossover. Oh it's like, if you made it on TBN, wow. that meant that you were like a crossover hit. Particularly if you were black and made it on TBN. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you were black and made it on TBN, that means that the white folks know that you're something. <laughs> because, well, one of my old pastors, I remember he was on TBN and everybody went to the moon about it. It was like, oh, you crossover now. Yeah, buddy. I mean, no one would right. ever say it that way, but that really is what it what it means. It's like you know, if you're on TBN, then that means you know, you 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 can do some stuff. But so this, so you know, Jan and 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 Paul are no longer with us. However, there's been a lot of infighting, and it's a, and it's a very unfortunate <laughs> story about what's happening. the 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 story is not written that great, in my opinion. But long story short. I mean, it's written in a way that's confusing. Like, you know, my journalism sensibilities are like, this story can be written in a way okay. to make this much more clear. So, Kara Crouch, who is the granddaughter of Jan and Paul Crouch, mm-hmm. um, filed, like, there, there's some type of legal battle going on. And Kara basically mm-hmm. saying that she was molested by an employee, I believe, at TPN when she was 13. And the other folks are saying that's not true. Kara is saying that she told her grandmother about it um, and that Jan Crouch basically said it was her fault. Um, and she's, it's also right. this piece saying that in California, if you're a clergy, you have an obligation to tell someone if you know someone's being abused or whatnot. I'm kind of like, you know, I, um, think I believe so. it, is that true? I don't in, quote in, me in on Maryland that, but I too, think that's the way it is. If you're a teacher, you're obligated to report. Is I that think that happened with. I'm trying to remember um, Sovereign Grace because I think something happened where one of the uh, like one of the I think one of the clergy or one of the staff members found out about it and it was involving someone that was a minor and they had to report it. Um, Yeah, so I think that was I think that's the rule. So Kara was saying that this is also that happened to her. And so the the lawyers for Trinity Broadcasting are basically saying, you know, she was addicted to pornography and she, um, you know, she basically said she was a mess and that she kind of, and she was promiscuous and that she kind of brought this on herself and all whatever. And so it was just a really ugly, nasty fight. Um, however, if you if you followed any of the TBN stories, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd kind of know that there was always a lot of BS um, going on right. with them behind the scenes. I mean, with most of these big families that came about the same time they did, I mean, there's some type of similar stories. Um, you have a lot of excess, a lot of money, a lot of wealth, um, and a lot of just, you know, just overall abuse. I mean, for lack of a better word, spiritual, physical, spirit, you know, um, um, spiritual, mental, physical spiritual, all that type of abuse just was flying around um, in those times. Um, and so it's unfortunate um, that, it, that it's happening. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. And so they're saying that Karish, uh, I hope I'm saying her name right, is that um, is trying to just get money. Um, and each side is accusing the other of doctoring documents and things like that. And um, you know, 
Um, and she, but I think it seems like Kara is saying that basically there are a number of people who fail to report um, mm-hmm. due to their position. Um, and I don't, I just, it's just a lot going on, but it's really, really sad that it's happening like this. Um, it's just really, really sad. This goes to show you, particularly in a court of law, how, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in the news in recent times about rape culture and, and sexual assault and things like that. And it just sucks to know that, particularly, you know, for women when they come forward, that the first thing they're going to be assaulted with is, well, she was promiscuous or she was on drugs or she, or as if you doing anything that someone might right. deem untoward makes it okay for you to be raped or sexually assaulted. Yeah. So I just think that, that that's really terrible, but we'll see how this works out in the coming days. I just wanted, I thought that was worth discussing, but um, I think also too, when you understand just whew, the empire that Paul and Jan Crouch uh, this might be a stretch, but I'm just thinking about how the people who they had on yeah. might have been a well. I may be saying it's a precursor of the Fox. It might be too much, but when we're talking about conservative powerhouse yep. and things that they've done, I think this really this is something. This makes a difference, you know. As well, so as I don't really have anything. Someone, to say about it and that. I think we, we've had conversations about this. And I'm not going to name names, but there was, you know, a scandal that occurred um, involving um, a church, I involving people at a church I used to go to. And yeah, I told you about this. So in essence, it's just like, it gets to a mm, point where you just say, you know what, nothing surprises me anymore. Like you just get, you get to a point where you're just like, oh, well, that's just par for the course. Well, I mean, you don't have to. Well, I guess so. What what you're saying right. is that in these contexts, people so often are they say they're one thing, but they're really another. Okay. Well, you know, but but again, that we're not encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're not. It it mm-hmm. it. At some point, it is just, it's very simple things, very, very simple things, but we won't do it. It's just that uh, the way that we teach, the way that, well, not we, the way that they teach, <laughs> the way that they believe, they encourage people to not be who they are. Right. And it doesn't, right. we're, and we're not saying that, you know, that being like a rapist or abusive is yep. a part of being human or anything like that. But the fact that we have these, we can't have these open, honest conversations like we we can't be honest about these realities that about what people go on that are going on yep. and when some like when something like this happens the like the hurt just ends up getting compounded and and overlaid because we don't anyone to know and all this other stuff and it's just it's unfortunate that pretty much it's unfortunate that one of the most unsafe places for a lot of people is a church that's very sad or at a church conference it's very sad um, it just it should not be that way, but we create it and we do it in a way that makes that the case. <laughs> so until we do some, I'm sorry. Until they, I keep saying we because I'm no, I'm right. I've had my well, time. Well, you've got so, that in the fact that um, we, when you're very the very culture, and this is what's going to keep happening, does not lend itself as to what you were saying so, about being authentic. 
and being respectfully direct in communication, even in an administrative or professional setting as a church. I, I don't know how many times I'm, I've come across and had conversations with people who worked on, you know, worked as staff or in churches where everyone talks around the issue versus actually addressing what the issue actually is and simply saying this, I need you to do X and here's what I expect from you. And here's what you need, you know, here's the tools that you need to get the job done. And here's my boundary. And if you cross the boundary, this is the consequence for crossing the boundary. Like those type of conversations just don't happen. Because everybody's so concerned about, you know, extending grace, not understanding that I'm really being gracious because I'm not throwing you to the wolves. I'm being gracious by telling you the truth, kindly, and saying, this is a problem. This needs to change. And this is not acceptable. And this isn't appropriate. Until we have those conversations. Well, listen, I will say this. I I was part of an organization. (laughs) Well, I was part of many Christian organizations. So no one really, I mean, unless you know all of the ones that I've been a part of. Then you don't know which one this is. And so, um, so I was in many of them. And this one particular org. And the funny thing, the sad part is this, this could, this, sorry, this has undoubtedly happened to all of them. Um, but there's one particular time we were all talking. And they were talking about, like, you know, just dating and age or whatever. It was a bunch of men, whatever. And they're talking about just, you know, well, well, how young is too young or how old is too old? And one of the people said, you know, if there's wow. grass on the field, play ball. And that was a long time ago. And so, oh I, don't, I mean, there was, I was nowhere near as woke, quote unquote, as I, then as I was now. But it still felt weird to hear someone say that. And now looking, now looking back, now the thing is, everybody laughed and chuckled, ha ha, he he he, whatever. And the thing about it is, the people who are around, they, 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 they the idea of, I mean, when they said it, so you can't really say that, but just these guys, for all intents and purposes, are good guys, you know? But the idea that you can say that and not think about the implications just goes to show how deep that stuff kind of goes in Christian circles. Because to think about that type of joke, to make that joke, and then to laugh, and then for none of us, myself included, to automatically be like, yo, that's really messed up. You know, that's just not good. And I think that we keep falling into those types of cycles. And just the fact that, again, somebody could say that without recognizing that, hey, you kind of know what you're implying by saying that, right? You know? Um, But again, and, and it's not so much that this was some evil person that was waiting this. I mean, maybe they were. Who knows? But there's what's also true is that there's so many folks who really aren't necessarily these guys who are in their minds thinking that they're going yep. to do something terrible. But the way we talk and handle sex and consent and all these other things, they end up doing terrible things because no one really knows anything different. They don't really know what to do. 
and there was no one around. Like, you know what I mean? Like a group of all of us. Like, again, like I said, I felt right. weird when I heard it, but it wasn't like right. I was saying, yo, that's really jacked up. You shouldn't say anything. So I'm not trying to make like I was some sort of, you know, hero in this. Um, but we, I mean, nobody in all the talks that I ever had, all those damn ridiculous man conferences. I'm sorry. I hate men's ministry. It's always terrible. Um, it's never not, it's never not bad. It's always bad. It's always terrible. It's always jacked up. I always hated it. (laughs) Always. Never, ever, ever have I liked men's ministry. Never. Even when I helped with one. And the one I helped, the one I helped with, uh, one of them, it was actually better than most. I still didn't like it. When, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm back. Say, I'm back. I but, know. And as somebody, as someone that was constantly like, folks have been trying to drag me into women's ministry forever, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, no, y'all can't handle me. Y'all, y'all feelings, your feelings will be hurt every day. All of those damn meetings that I had to sit through, I sat through everything. I ha- I was in a men's Christian fraternity. I was in several churches, men's small, all of these men's groups. I have never once heard anyone talk about consent. I never once heard anyone talk about. I talked about well, how do you handle a lady, and how do you be, how are you a man, and how do you do all this quote unquote godly stuff? But I've never heard anyone talk about that. It's never discussed because the idea is that it's this very weird thing because you either need to you gotta have you gotta somehow that, have that sex might, with women that might mean oh he's right, okay. <laughs> which trust me that doesn't prove it. Right, um, <laughs> but so you have you kind of have to, but then at the same time, you got to be holy, and so no one really talks about it about consent. Like no one talks about the fact that because the assumption is if you are in a situation where someone can take advantage of you, then that's kind of your fault. You shouldn't have been there. Like the whole idea is like to tell someone in these situations that hey, listen, if you are in the room with somebody at night and you are bucket ass naked. And you say, hey, never mind, I'm done. And they keep going. The fact that saying that is still, like, no, that is rape. They won't even, I mean, the average person sometimes has probably understanding that, but church folks definitely don't get it. Because in their mind, it's like, well, why were you there anyway? If you weren't (sighs) about to sin, you wouldn't have to worry about this. Yes. Because I I, I can't. Because you you know how I feel about you know how I feel about well, having that stuff. It's just like, if your very mad, identity so. as a man okay. is based on how much control and dominance <laughs> you have over others and things, you can keep that. Well, I will say this one thing, and then we can end it here. The reason why that is, and the reason why even when you tell people and teach men otherwise, that's still hard for them, as much, as much shit as men do, and as much as men really jack shit up, I'm yeah. being totally honest, as much as we jack shit up, we also suffer a whole no, lot because of the way that we're expected and forced to be. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that to excuse any of the bull. Um, I'm not saying that at all. But when you say, hey, listen, you don't have to own and dominate things to be mm-hmm. somebody. 
a lot of people, I say, you know, we, I say we generally, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do next because all of our lives we were taught that being a man meant that I had to beat somebody else or I had to get something or do something. I had to be the mighty warrior, the mighty conqueror, the guy who doesn't, the only emotions that I feel is when I get mad, when my sports team scores a goal or when I get to have sex with, with a woman. When, and, and, and sex isn't really even, it's not even about my own pleasure or theirs. It's about me getting a notch on the belt. I got some. And I could talk about it and show my boys that, oh, look, I'm a real, uh, look, I'm a real boy. I got some type of thing. And so that, that's all we're given. And so when people try to take that away, which it's bad, it should be gone, but there's, we don't know how to do anything else. And so we hold on to that so tight. Because the opposite is, I don't, you know, I don't know how to be a person without these ideas. Like, how do I, like, like boys are robbed, men are robbed of the chance to live fully human lives because we have to, like, we are forced by men and women (laughs) to to be to 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 be in these roles. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let's take a break and then come right back. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dell and Jack. If you like this episode, please comment and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Follow us on Twitter and at Dell and Jack and shoot us your questions, thoughts, and ideas at the Dell and Jess show at gmail.com. Bye. Hey, we're back and we are on our Sunday school portion of this program this evening. And I figured it would be a really good opportunity since Verdell referenced the devourer uh, earlier in our conversation to talk about evil. And so I guess the Sunday school's question for you, um, Verdell, if you could possibly answer this, is who or what is Satan? And once you get to that, is Satan real? And how is Satan's existence connected to, again, the issue of evil and the concept of hell? Well, because that's not a small, I mean, real simple <laughs> question, Jeff. Sure, real simple. That won't take any time at all. So simple to talk about. Okay. All right, let's break this down. So who or what is Satan? Um, most people, and of course, with all these things, like, you know, there, of course, there are variations on this. So I'm talking very generally. And, um, in case someone is fact checking, um, I'm talking about this stuff in a way that the average person kind of pick up and run with it. So if I kind of truncate some facts or say some things, or maybe become a little too general, that's why I'm not trying to write a paper. I'm trying to make this, stuff. you know, we're trying to make this stuff, um, a way that, people can actually grasp it. So who or what is Satan? Um, Most people believe that Satan is like the ultimate enemy of God, right? And so that Satan is responsible for the downfall, for, for introducing humanity to sin and for leading people to sin now and all of that. That's what people believe Satan is. Most people believe that Satan, the first time Satan appears is in the garden in the, of Eden in the form of the snake who talks to Eve and all of that. 
Um, and so that's the Christian interpretation of that. And so it goes on from all of that. Um, that's what most people, when you ask them, you know, and that somehow this Satan is like either lives in hell or is here or going to get thrown into hell. Like it all depends on who you ask. Like if you watch the Carmen, um, you know, the back in the day, those Carmen videos. Wow. You took it back to Carmen. You took it back to Carmen though. I did. But the, like the idea of 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 the devil, uh, Satan, living in hell and ruling from hell, or just any number of things, whatever. Um, the actual truth, which, as you might have guessed, <laughs> <laughs> is not at all what we tend to believe, <laughs> is that the idea of Satan is one that developed over time and is not actually it does not actually exist all through Scripture. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, um, the ancient Israelites, there was no concept of the devil as we think of today. Um, this idea of a tempter. Now, in many, many traditions, however, there is this idea of a tempter, a trickster that comes along and tempts and tests people. Um, and so that's not like you see a lot of African folk tales. Um, and even some African American folk tales too. I forgot some of the names, but it's evident there as well. Native American folk tales, you know, it's something that's common um, in a lot of people in a lot of traditions and uh, and cultures. Um, but in ancient for ancient Israelites, there was no idea of a tempter like you sinned because you made a decision to sin. Um, it's your fault. Nobody made you do that type of thing. Um, as time goes on and the Israelites are, you know, spread to various parts of the world because of exile and war, um, particularly when they're in Babylon, they're exposed to, you know, um, a lot of ideas in ancient Persia. And, and so a lot of, they begin to pick up a lot of different ideas. And so throughout that time, that's when the idea of a Satan comes along. And so when you get to the New Testament and you have Jesus talking, you have this idea of a Satan of some sort that that comes about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where that comes in as, as this tempter tormentor, like, you know, Jesus, you know, is, is wrestling with Satan in the wilderness and being tempted and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that, that's where that piece comes from. There's actually a lot of diversity. The, the term Satan in the Bible is actually not a name. It's a title. Hmm. Um, you first see it in Job. Um, and if you read it in Hebrew, it's ha Satan, not Satan, like saying, you know, Jess or Verdell, mm-hmm. it's, it's ha Satan, it's the Satan. Mm-hmm. And so in that book, Satan is like a prosecutor. And so he actually works for God. Um, he's not a bad guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so what Satan does is he goes around and he tests people to see if they actually are who they say they are. And so, like, think about a prosecutor today. Their job is to uphold the law and to make sure that you, like, you know, did you do what you're supposed to do type of thing. Right. And so when Satan, when we read that today and we think, oh, well, that's Satan, and we think about the devil and all that other stuff, that's not the idea that was in Job. This is like, like, Satan is, is one of the higher ranking, you know, um, messengers, angels, if you will, sons of God that all come in and, and and tell God and report to God, right? And so um, the Satan in Job was not actually evil. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and, it, and it was a position. You're like, it was a some title. feathers, Riddell. Yeah, I know. 
Um, but also, I mean, well, let's stop there. Just let's just hear what she say has to say about all of that <laughs> so far. I mean, <laughs> I have had. Don't, mind us. Don't, don't be angry with us when you hear when you hear that. Don't be mad. <laughs> I think the reason why it's very easy to believe in something like that is that if you've that's what you've known. And that's what you've been told. And then when you come across information that completely obliterates that particular view, it's like, well, wait a minute. Because because then it, it opens you up to, to bigger questions such as, well, if this reference of Satan is not the bad guy, then who is? And how do you address evil? Like, how do you deal with the unspeakable things that human beings have done to each other and to other living things. Yeah. I mean, the, the, well, I mean, this is probably jumping ahead of your questions, but the issue of Satan brings up a whole host of issues when you consider who God is and who people tend to believe God to be. Mm. Um, We may not, say it, but I the, a lot of people's theology kind of makes Satan equal to God right. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, that the devil is busy mm-hmm. and and God and the devil is ruining this and the devil is doing that. So that one attributes omnipotence um, and omniscience to the devil, right. whatever that might be. Right. You know, because, whether that's real or right, not. Right, because then the know. idea about people demons on assignment and stuff like that and oh, oh, oh we'll we'll get to that. Don't worry. Um <laughs> and so there's that piece. But then also it brings up questions about the character of God. Because if like just the whole thing falls apart because let's say if there if Satan is the one who lied and tricked Adam and Eve, right? If we're taking these stories as literal, then why is God mad at all of humanity for what someone else tricked them to do? That's like saying, if my child is tricked or or led astray by an older cousin or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. I might be a little upset at them, but am I going to punish them literally forever? When, when When the other person who led them astray is way smarter, way more powerful and knew better. Mm. Um, why would I do that? And if Satan is running around now, why isn't God doing anything to protect us from Satan? God, it's like, how, how, how strong is this? How strong is, is the devil and how strong is God? Because all God seems to do is say, well, you can do this. You can pray. You can do it. Okay. So God, when are you going to actually do something about the devil? One day I'm going to do something about the devil. But why are you letting this fight play out if this guy is so dangerous? Why are, why are you just letting him run amok and not doing anything? You know what I mean? It brings up some really, really ugly questions um, about what Satan is, who God is, who has more power, how does God work in the world? Um, it just gets really, really ugly and messy um, if Satan and, and evil spirits in that way play a huge part of your understanding of the world. It just gets very messy. Indeed, it gets very messy. I agree. Um. I think it's also important to say, too, that a lot of the things that people would assume um, are, like, I think it's in Isaiah when it talks about, like, you know, um, Lucifer, Morningstar, whatever. That's not talking about Satan. That's talking about probably some Middle Eastern king. I forgot the name, but it's not talking about 
um, it's not talking about Satan. And so a lot of people, a lot of people think that Satan was a fallen angel who was like a praise and worship leader in heaven. And that, you know, Satan at one point got prideful and thought that they were better than God. And so Lucifer led all these angels to attack God. And God was like, nope, sorry. And threw them all out to heaven. Right. Which again, circles back to what I said before that God is the one who threw Satan out and God left people vulnerable. If that story is true, it's not, but if it's true, God is the one who booted Satan out of heaven. God is the one who left mankind vulnerable. Right. And so if that's the case, then why, why do, why does humanity bear the blame for being caught up in Satan and God's pissing match? And so that's ultimately what, what it comes down to, which also gets further complicated again, when you recognize that there is no such thing as Satan um, for an ancient Israelite that didn't exist. So this idea of the serpent as being Satan, that's a Christian idea. That's not really a Jewish (laughs) idea. Um, that that's not something that um, that 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 they would talk about. Um, the serpent could have meant other things, but again, this idea of this Satan person, and even in the New Testament, the idea of Satan is ultimately evil. Some people think of it's a diversity of ideas. Some would argue that the Satan actually was again that whole trickster mm-hmm. tempter thing to kind of test and prove, mm-hmm. not necessarily to 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 bring you toward evil. But it's kind of like testing you, like, you know, who, you know, like on, you're on the witness stand. And Well, you know, if if you are the son of God, then do this. And if you are the son of God, do that. And if you are who you say you are, then do this type of thing. To see, are you really, are, are you really who you are, who you say you are? And so after that time is when Jesus actually does his ministry. And at no point, um, you know, like it's it, it just, it, it's varied. It's very varied. Um, but the idea that we, the common idea that we have of, of Satan just as, oh, he was a praise and worship leader and he got to, you know, high on his own supply and got to boot him out. Um, that really isn't true. That, that, that's not it. That the Lucifer that's being talked about there is likely um, a king um, that they were talking about in Isaiah um, and, you know, who they thought that they were God and God had to kind of humble him or whatever. But it really wasn't talking about some type of, you know, demonic super being. I just wonder how people are going to really respond in regards to this discussion because how do you engage with people knowing this about these type of I guess when it comes to addressing issues in life or challenges that you might have in life you know, when people say the devil's busy or when people say, oh, well, you just need to pray for her. You know, this, you need to put, you know, no, let loose, you know, break down these strongholds. And I'm just like, um, I don't think that's what they were referring to, but how do you graciously, I don't want to say rebuff them. But is it like choosing your battles, per se, when it comes to those types of conversations? Here's the thing that it's hard for people to realize. And it took me a while to learn it, too, but it's true. People hold on to these, to these beliefs for, for very human right. reasons. 
because we need to feel somehow that the world makes sense and that these types of things give us an answer. And a friend of mine said this phrase to me around Christmas time and it's really stuck with me. He said that a lot of times a bad answer is better than no answer. Um, And I really believe that for a lot of people. And so the idea that, oh, well, you have cancer because the devil is attacking your body, that's a really bad idea. But for many people, that's better than just having to deal with the fact that, honestly, yep. shit happens. Like, the, that's what happens. We're human. Um, as studies are showing, um, a lot of times people get cancer because we live longer, and it just seems that the more you longer you live, the more likely it is that mm-hmm. you get cancer. Um, if, I mean, we can do things to prevent it, of course, but the longer you live, the more chance you have it. Well, people, people back in the day, when people didn't, you know, people didn't have cancer back in the day, well, people didn't live long back in the day. And so you, if you're dying at 30, you don't have a chance to get cancer. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's how it happens. But I think the thing about it is, is that if you take the actual, if you attack the actual belief, you're not going to get anywhere. All they're going to do is burrow down right. deeper because that's not going to mean anything because they don't believe that because they think it's true. They believe it because they think it's, well, they don't believe it because they think it's real. They believe it because they think it's true. Right. There's a difference. Um, something being real is like, you know, you know, like it, it's, it's, they just, it's, it's a different way of viewing the world in, in that manner. And so what you do is you talk to them, like it depends on the situation, but if it's a situation where you want someone to do something that's healthy to them, like let's say, you know, like depression. Oh, well, the devil is attacking you because you're depressed and you got to lift that spirit off of you. Um, you got to pray that devil away. Well, you can say, okay, if you want to pray, that's totally fine. What you, while, while you're praying, let's also get some, you know, counseling, some therapy, you know, try to lead them to things in ways that like, don't mm. like go around the issue. Because if you all of a sudden say, stop talking about that Satan, it ain't real. Right. They're going to shut down. And also to keep in mind, too, for a lot of people, this is what keeps mm. their world together. Like, this is what somehow, why is everything in my life shit? Because the devil is attacking me, and God is going to fight my battles. And one day, in, in some mm. really weird way, mm. it gives them hope. Right. Right? And so, as strange as it might be, that might, that, believing that might be what gets them out of True. the bed each day. And when you challenge that, it's un, it's as annoying as it can be. It's un, it's from a pastoral perspective, it's kind of unethical to, to really attack that belief if you don't yeah. give them something else. Like, a lot of people say that religion is a crutch, and I don't think crutches are bad. Like you know, if you hurt your foot, you need a crutch. <laughs> you know, um, and sometimes things happen in life that are so bad we need something to lean on. But the things that we right. lean on should be healthy and actually help us to walk on our right. own. Right. And the, the things that point. we believe, if we're leaning um, on something, they shouldn't be crushing someone else's back in the process. Well, <laughs> that too. Um, but I think that that's the issue, though. I think with Satan, the, the, the idea of Satan really, again, it really brings up a lot of issues when it comes to how we view God, how we view ourselves, and all of that. Um, it just makes a really big mess. It's a really big theological mess, but it's a, it also makes for a great story. 
it makes for a really great cosmological mm. story. And to think that you are somehow in the middle of this epic battle between God and Satan. And that uh, it, it, it's a very grand narrative. It's it, it, it's very grabbing. And it, I mean, it's, it's grabbed both of us at various right. times in our, in our lives, you know? And so it, it, it's something that really is very powerful. But when you start to live and when you get in the weeds of life, that's when some of these cracks start to show. Um, and so this idea that there is this devil around making you do things, tempting you, and that this devil, either either God and Satan are pretty close in power or Satan is being allowed to run around doing all <laughs> manner of shit. And God's just like, oh, all right, I'm going to get you at some point, but not today. Here's some, here's some, like, you know, at the end of Mario 3, when they be like, oh, Mario, this thing is too brave to go alone. Take this. That's what God did to us. It's like, oh, listen, I know this Satan thing is a lot, and I could beat him myself, but sis, I'm not, not yet. But here, don't go alone. Take this. You can pray, <laughs> get some oil, fast, or do whatever. And yeah, it just, I mean, to me now, that's just like, yeah, no. Um, I think that's just, I don't, I personally, I mean, even years ago, I started, I, the place for Satan in my theology diminished, but Satan as a thing isn't something I don't, I don't even think about it anymore. Um, I think that people make decisions and people make good right. decisions. People make bad decisions. And that's what we have to deal with is that what are our ethics? Um, what, what do we want to do with other people? Um, but I don't believe that there's some epic spiritual war that, um, we'll put it this way. If there, there is a spiritual war, but it's not between God and a near omnipotent rogue angel. Um, I think the spiritual war is about us and our spirituality and, and developing a holistic way to treat ourselves and each other. Mm. I think that's the war. Mm. Well, that's that's yeah. something to chew on. Yeah, I don't, I don't. But I don't believe in a in a Satan like that, and I, and the Bible doesn't. The Bible does not have one one unified word on Satan either. Satan means different right, things in different periods. The thing this this kind of sort of you have you've had access to information that you know opens your understanding in regards to why that is, whereas you know a lay person does not. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's very true. I mean, I think I just want people to be healthy and free. And so I don't, I, I, I personally like talking about cool stuff. Like I said, right. I think it's just really cool and really interesting. But my goal isn't necessarily no, to pick at people. My goal is to, to give, I want people to have different options. And I just know the fact of having different right. options has helped me throughout my life. I get it. Yeah, that that's how. That's what I think about it. Yeah, um, any, any I other think questions? they can wait for the next time we talk about our podcast. Um, just because okay. I think you've opened up an entirely different thread. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I did. Maybe, maybe. But no, I, I guess just to wrap it up, I would say that mm, Satan, long story short, the Bible says a number of things about Satan. Um, in the in the in you know even in the Hebrew scriptures it says different things, and many parts is not even mentioned, 
And when it is mentioned, it's not really what we tend to think. Um, Satan wasn't even really a bad guy. Um, you know, um, in the, the times when he, and when it was Satan, it was more like, he was more like a prosecutor um, than this evil guy that tempted people. And even when he did tempt people, um, it, it's debatable on whether or not the Satan was evil or just a part of reality that we all kind of have to go through. And I think that part kind of is cool. And in, in other traditions, like I said, like the trickster tempter narrative character feature isn't really right. an evil creature. It's the creature that shows up to put you in situations to kind of show you what you're really about deep down gotcha. inside. Uh, and, and and who are you? Like, okay, you said one thing. So Let's see the, about it. They is are the fact true? checkers. You type of the, well, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's something that put, they put you on the stand. They call you to a charge. Right. I mean, that, that's what happened in Job, right? Which, I mean, one day we'll talk about that, but you know, Satan doesn't even, you know, Satan comes around, this Satan comes around. It's like, oh, well, you know, I was looking around for people, you know, and God is like, well, have you considered Job? It's like, oh, Job only really cares about you because you give him stuff. And God is like, oh, really? Well, you can do, well, let's see about that type of thing. Um, and so, again, it's like, it's this way to see, oh, okay, well, who are you? And I think that's the question. It Like, if you want to take anything from Satan, take the thing to ask ourselves, when situations in our life pop up that are rough, that, that are tough, but we don't get what we want when, when we get hit, those are usually the times when we really get a chance to figure out who are we deep down? Like, what are we really about for real? What are we, what are we, what are we really down for? Who are we really on the inside? When right. we are pressed, who are we? And so that's why, like, even if you read the temptation narratives in the Gospels, the Satan pops up at the end of Jesus' fast. He's tired. He's hungry. He's been exposed to the elements. So he's incredibly weak. And so at this point, right. you can do all, you know, when you're that drained, well, you know, you're liable, like, like your filters and all your ethics could go out the window. But I think that if anything, that's the part of the Satan idea that I would keep. Not this whole evil boogeyman that's trying to make you sin. But when situations come up that tempt you and that taunt you, who are you? Like, what, what, what do you do in those situations? And those situations can tell you who it can tell you and show right. you if you actually are who you say you are and give and, and give you information to figure out right. how you can more fully be who you want to be. Hey, family, thanks for tuning into the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Dell and Jess. That's D-E-L-L-A-N-D-J-E-S-S. And if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever else, um, just not spam. Uh, email us at the Dell and Jess Show at gmail.com. Peace. <laughs>